Well, we are resuming our series on prayer, looking at some of the great prayers in the Bible. And this morning we come to John 17 and the high priestly prayer of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is Jesus' longest prayer that he prayed in the scriptures that it, that's recorded for us. And so we'll be looking at it in three parts. So today we're just going to look at the first five verses, and then we're going to conclude by looking quickly at verse 24. We'll be back next week then to look at the middle part of the prayer, and then in the third week we'll look at the closing part of the prayer, which has to do with God's mission in the world. Let's give our attention to the reading of, John's, of God's Word from John's Gospel, John 17, verses 1 through 5. This is God's word. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Verse 24. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am, to see my glory, that you may be, may be where I am. To see my glory that you have given me because you have loved me before the foundation of the world. This is God's word. Let's go to him now in prayer. Oh Lord our God, we ask that you would show us your glory. We ask, Lord, that you would speak. For we, your servants, are listening. Hear our prayer, for we pray in the matchless name of Jesus, our great Savior and our King. Amen. Well, we're back, and I hope that y'all had a happy Easter. It was a great Sunday for me. I hope it was a great Sunday for all of you. Easter is such a great Sunday in the life and the rhythm of the church that the week after Sunday can feel like a little bit of a letdown. All the Easter candy has gone away. All the Easter flowers, which formerly decorated the platform in front of me, have now gone. We are no longer wearing our Easter suits and our Easter dresses. It's back to normal. Is normal good? It can be a good thing. Last week, my sister and her family were visiting. Many of your family members from out of town were visiting. The music was awesome. The Easter egg hunt was incredible. It was just an awesome week. I loved everything about the Easter service. I hope you did too. This week, if you weren't able to be with us last week, for whatever reason, here is the good news. We are back, and Jesus is still very much alive. Easter happened 2,000 years ago when Jesus died on the cross and then rose again. And Easter is happening each and every week in the lives of his people as we die to ourselves and as we live for him. As we love, as we serve, as we suffer. Every time we hope, 
every time we believe, we enter into that glorious Easter story of Jesus and his love. Here's the question. How does that resurrection power, how does that Easter power come into your life? How does the Easter story become your story the week after Easter when all the decorations have been put away? If you missed the service last week, do you have to wait until next year? The answer is prayer. Resurrection power comes into your life Every time you pray. Now at first, that seems like good news. That's easy. Just pray. No problem. Except, it is a problem. Because, if we're honest, most of us don't really know how to pray. Now we say we do, and we make our best efforts to pray, but have you ever wondered, am I doing this right Do I need to light a candle or something? Do I need to go to the side of a mountain when I pray? I've heard something about closets, prayer closets. Do I need to go to a closet when I pray? Is it okay to pray when I'm driving? And if so, how do I drive with my hands folded and my eyes closed? Isn't that a sure way to get into an accident when we pray? Yet another reason, Kate, why I need a Tesla. (laughs) Self-driving. Think about how many prayers that I have missed with my hands on the wheel and my eyes on the road. But I digress. So, how do we, who struggle to know how to pray, learn to pray? Well, one of the ways we learn to pray is by looking at some of the great prayers of the Bible. And if you've been with us during this series, we've done just that. We've learned to pray by listening as Abraham and Jacob and Moses and Hannah and the prophet Daniel have prayed. We've listened to their prayers. We've studied their prayers. And through them, we have learned how to pray. Another way to learn how to pray is by listening to Jesus as he taught his disciples to pray in the Lord's Prayer, which is arguably the most famous prayer ever prayed. In the Lord's Prayer, we learned that we can call God our Heavenly Father because of Jesus. Because Jesus died on the cross and rose again, we, God's people, have been adopted into the family of God through faith, and through our union with him. Because of Jesus, we know that God is both glorious and good. Because of Jesus, we know that all of our needs will be met. We know that God changes our hearts. We know that Jesus, by his Spirit, equips us and empowers us for his mission. Truly a remarkable prayer. We also learn to pray this morning by taking things to a whole new level. We're going to learn how to pray by listening to Jesus pray. Now remember that Jesus himself never actually prayed the Lord's Prayer. He told his disciples, pray then like this. In other words, the Lord's Prayer is an example of how we should pray. It's not an example of how Jesus himself actually prayed. So how did Jesus pray? 
What did he say when he was talking to his heavenly father? Did he ask for a beach house? Did he ask God if he could live forever? Is it okay to ask God for things like that? Is it okay to ask God for healthy families, happy kids, things like that? Or is prayer about something much deeper than that? Is prayer about something more? Well, it turns out that it is. In fact, it it is about so much more that the great reformer Philip Melanchthon wrote, There is no voice which has ever been heard, either in heaven or in earth, more exalted, more holy, more fruitful, more sublime than the prayer offered up by the Son of God Himself. In other words, we're about to go to the mountain. The place where we are standing this morning is holy ground. I want you to feel the weight of that. I certainly do. But I also don't want you to get discouraged as you come to the mountain, thinking that the mountain is far too high for you, that this is a mountain that you yourself could never climb, because Jesus, our Redeemer, comes down from the mountain to us bringing the glory of God, which exists in inapproachable light, into the hearts and the lives of his people. He dwells with us. He tabernacles among us. And he does so as we pray. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. We're going to talk about the glory of God. In the first five verses of this prayer, and then again in verse 24, Jesus prays for glory. Not beach houses, not good grades, not Aunt Carol's sciatica. Glory. He prays for the glory of God. In fact, Jesus uses the word glory five times in the first five verses of the prayer, and then one more time in verse 24. Six times in six verses, Jesus prays for the glory of God. So what does that mean? What does it mean to glorify God? What is the glory of God? How do we glorify God? How does God the Father glorify the Son? And how do we, as adopted children of God, glorify the Father, Son, and the Spirit? If you're taking notes this morning, here's the outline. We're going to ask four big questions of this text as we think about the glory of God. First, what is the glory of God? When we pray for the glory of God... What is it that we're praying for? What is the glory of God? What does that mean? Second, we're going to ask, how do we see the glory of God? In a way, isn't that looking like looking directly into the sun? Won't we go blind if we look directly at God to see his glory? In fact, remember in the Old Testament, Moses prayed to see the glory of God. And God said, essentially, It's impossible. We'll talk about that more later. Third, how do we savor the glory of God? Is the glory of God 
comforting? Is the glory of God encouraging? Is the glory of God empowering? Yes, yes, and yes. I'll try my best to explain. And then fourth, how do we share the glory of God? How do we help other people see the glory of God? How do we glorify God at home? How do we glorify God at work? How do we glorify God at at school? How do we glorify God on Instagram or Facebook or Twitter? Is that even possible? We'll find out. When Jesus prayed, the first thing he prayed about was the glory of God. How do we see it? How do we savor it? How do we share it? How do we learn to pray like Jesus prayed? Let's take a closer look. First big question, what is the glory of God? Now, when we think about the glory of God, my mind goes to the vastness of God. In Psalm 19, verse 1, David said the heavens declare the glory of God. So there's something about the stars in the sky, the vastness of the universe, the constellations and galaxies that teach us about the glory of God. When I was a little kid, I remember laying outside on the grass and looking up at the heavens and the night sky and seeing all of the stars just thousands upon thousands of stars, and being impressed with how glorious God truly is. Just to think about God as greater than the universe above us. And then think about about how small we truly are in comparison to that. The glory of God just blew my mind. The glory of God took my breath away. Now, sometimes when we grow up, I think we lose that sense of awe and wonder at the glory of God. When we become adults, we get bank accounts and health insurance and retirement plans, and we get schedules and to-do lists, and people become big, and God becomes small. Let me encourage you, don't lose the awe. Don't lose the wonder at who God is. In fact, I am giving you permission right now to go home tonight to lay down on your lawns and look up and see the glory of God. And when your neighbor asks you what you're doing out there, just tell him, I'm seeing the glory of God. And my pastor is kind of weird. And so he tells us to do things. I'm just going with it. But don't lose the glory of God. Now, another thing that comes to mind when we think about the glory of God is not only the vastness of God, but the weight of God. The Hebrew word that we translate glory is one of those amazing words that sounds like what it means. Kavod. Kavod means heavy. It means weighty. It means important. Something that is glorious is something that is more important than any other thing. Something that is weightier than anything else. George Washington is kavod. 
Abraham Lincoln was kavod. As was Harriet Tubman and Frederick Douglass, kavod. When we say that God is glorious, we are acknowledging that God is our creator, the first mover, the creator of all things, great and small. We're acknowledging that God is our sustainer, that he upholds us every moment of every day by the word of his, of his power. The world would disintegrate, would come apart were it not for God sustaining us every moment of every day. That's how glorious God is. God is our redeemer. He holds our future in his hands. Without grace, there is no forgiveness. And without forgiveness, we have no future. And so God holds us together. Don Carson connects God's glory with his goodness. He writes, God's glory is his goodness displayed while glorifying God is his goodness celebrated. Who is God? God is glorious. He is, in the words of the Westminster Shorter Catechism, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. He takes our breath away. He amazes us. He fascinates us. There is no rock like our rock. There is no king like our king. There is no God like our God. That's the glory. And so the question then is, how do we see it? How do we see the glory of God? That's where we're going next. Second big question How do we see the glory of God? When we pray, show us your glory, what we're saying is, God, I want you to take my breath away. When I come to church on Sunday morning to worship you, when I pray, when I read the scriptures, when I'm with my life group studying the Bible, I want to come alive. I want to be like that eight-year-old kid laying down, looking up at the stars in the sky, just filled with awestruck wonder at the mention of your name. How do we see that? How do we see the glory? Well, if you remember Moses' prayer from Exodus 33, you'll remember that Moses prayed, Lord, let me see your glory. Show me your glory. And God said, no. He said, you cannot see it. You cannot see my glory. It's too much for you. It would overwhelm you. It would destroy you. It would be like handing you a Buick. It would crush you under the weight of the glory. You think you want to see it, but you can't see it unless, unless I hide you in the cleft of the rock. Unless you have a mediator unless there's something standing between your eyes and my glory if you're in the rock then you can see that's the only way now fast forward to the new testament what does the apostle paul say he says that the rock is christ that we are hidden 
in Christ. In fact, that's his most common description of what it means to be a Christian. To be a Christian is to be a follower of Jesus, but more centrally, it is to be in Christ, united to him by faith, just as Moses was in the rock. That's the way we see the glory of God. Jesus is the rock. Jesus is our mediator. Now, with that in mind, consider what Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. He wrote, For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, the Creator God, hath shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. If you want to see the glory of God, you have to see the face of Jesus Christ. Jesus shows us the power of God. What does the power of God look like? It looks like healing the sick and raising the dead and walking on water and calming the storm and feeding the 5,000. That is the glory of God. What does the goodness of God look like? Jesus shows us the glory of God looks like Jesus taking time out of his day to eat meals with prostitutes and tax collectors and hypocrites and sinners. It looks like a God who loves little children, infant children. When Jesus was teaching the the disciples, some people brought babies to them, and they put the babies into Jesus' arms, and the disciples said, no, no, you're too glorious for this. These babies cannot be in the arms of the Son of God. And Jesus said, let me show you my glory. Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. That's the glory. The tender arms of Jesus, holding infants in his hands. Jesus shows us the love of God. We read in the scripture, but God shows his love for us in this, in that while we were yet sinners, Jesus died for us. That's why we say the cross is glorious. We glory in the cross, because on the cross, Jesus lost his glory in order to glorify inglorious people like us think these verses really tell the story of the gospel a story of glory that god had with the father and the son and the spirit before the foundation of the world a glory that he gave to us as his image bearers a story of people who lost the glory of god through our sin and the story of a son who loved us so much that he would give his glory to us, that we might receive it through faith, only to be received in the resurrection back to the right hand of God the Father Almighty, being glorified once again by his heavenly Father. Verse 4, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence, with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Right now, if we were to see Jesus, we would see the face of a carpenter. We would see the face of a rabbi. We would see 
the face of an ordinary person. But he won't always look that way. Someday, he'll look like a roaring lion. Someday, he'll look like a mighty warrior. Someday, he'll look like the king of all kings. Someday, we'll see him face to face and we'll see the glory. Third big question, how do we savor the glory of God? Here's something interesting that Jesus said in Revelation 3, verse 20. See if you've heard this before. Jesus said to the church at Laodicea, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him, and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne. That's the glory. As I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. What is Jesus saying? Now, here's the most common interpretation of that verse. Most people believe that this is about seeing the glory of God for the very first time. Jesus comes to us as unbelievers. He knocks on the door of our heart. We open the door. Jesus comes in, and we see the glory and experience it for the very first time. Now, that makes perfect sense, and it is absolutely true that we do need to open our hearts to Jesus. He needs to come inside. We need his glory to fill our bodies, making us into living temples of the Holy Spirit. Absolutely true. And yet, I think that that interpretation might be a case of right doctrine, but maybe from the wrong verse. Here's what I think Jesus is actually saying. I think he's talking about savoring the glory of God. Jesus is writing to, is talking to a church, a very specific church, the church at Laodicea. He's talking to people who have already opened their hearts to Jesus. People who have already been filled with the glory of God. People have already been born again. And yet, he says to these believers, I'm outside the door, I'm knocking at the door, I want to sit down and have fellowship with you. I want to have a relationship with you. I want you to savor my glory. The question is, how do we open the door? And the answer is, we open the door through prayer. Prayer opens the door to deep fellowship with God. Prayer changes us from people who know a lot about Jesus to people who truly know Jesus, people who experience intimacy with God. We go, Spanish speakers, from saber to conocer, from knowing to knowing. Here's Tim Keller on this, and I will quote it in English. For Jesus, the purpose of prayer is opening your heart to God, opening your soul to him, experiencing intimacy. That's the purpose, to get God into my life to know him. 
You can know a lot about the glory of God intellectually. You can memorize some catechism questions about the glory of God. You can memorize Bible verses about the glory of God. You can agree intellectually that God is glorious. But if you want to savor the glory of God, if you want to taste and see that God is good, if you want God to set your heart on fire, you have to pray. That's how you experience that deep level fellowship with him. Verse 3, and this is eternal life, that they know you, that they savor you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. That deep knowing, that savoring happens when we pray. Fourth big question, last one, how do we share the glory of God? Well, listen to, listen to what the Apostle Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. He writes, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of God, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes by the Lord, who is the Spirit. When we see the glory of God, when we savor the glory of God, His greatness, His goodness, His majesty, His grace, we become more glorious. We begin to look like Jesus, and when we begin to look like Jesus, then other people get a tiny glimpse of who Jesus is. When we begin to look like Jesus, we begin to think like Jesus and talk like Jesus. And the gospel, which is otherwise so difficult to proclaim, becomes second nature to us because we simply want others to see the glory that we have seen shining in the face of Jesus. We want people to know the good news that Jesus has glorified inglorious sinners giving us more glory, the same glory that Jesus had before the foundation of the world. God is glorified in the cross, and he is glorified in the resurrection, and he is glorified in the church. As we proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness and into his glorious light. How often do you pray for that? How often do we pray for the glory of God? Let me encourage you that when you pray for that, when you ask to see and savor and share the glory of God, your life will change. You will be more fascinated by God than you've ever been before. You will be more enraptured by God than you've ever been before. You will be in awe of Him. You will say, God, I want to know you, and I want you to know me. Yes, heal me. Yes, help me. But more than anything else in the world, I want you. That's the glory. Have you seen it? Do you have the courage to say, I want that in my life? If you do, you will look like this, and you will pray like this, and your heart will be aligned to the heart of Jesus.
who teaches us how to pray. Let's go to him now in prayer. Oh, Lord, our God, we ask that you would show us your glory. We pray that you would overwhelm us with your immensity, your vastness. I pray, Lord, that all of us, as we pray, would have an image of the stars in the sky that we might see how glorious you are. Thank you for the cross in which you, Lord Jesus, lost your glory for a time that we might be made glorious through faith in you. Thank you for your, for your grace. We're undeserving of any of this. Teach us, Lord, to pray. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.